Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Welcome to Eloquentia perfecta ex machina, a podcast series devoted to the teaching of rhetoric and composition with and through a range of media, and focusing on the writing program at St. Louis University. On this podcast, we interview instructors about how and why they use multimodal approaches, and we have instructors interview other instructors about the nuts and bolts of particular tools and assignments. On this episode, Lauren Turbrock interviews Misa Jeffries, assistant curator at the Contemporary Art Museum St. Louis, about the exhibition Tim Ude, St. Louis Retyped. Lauren and Misa talk about Ude's project and make connections to the SLU writing program, blurring reading and writing processes, public practices, and the importance of his medium, the typewriter. Hi, this is Lauren, and today I'm at the Contemporary Art Museum St. Louis, which is about two blocks north of the St. Louis University campus. For today's episode, I wanted to spend some time talking about the exhibition Tim Ude, St. Louis Retyped, which was curated by Executive Director Lisa Melandry. I wanted to step off of campus today to spend some time talking about this exhibition and some connections I see with what we're doing in the writing program. So I'm here with Misa Jeffries, assistant curator here at the museum. Hello, Misa. Hi there. First, I was wondering if you could give us a brief explanation of Tim's project um, and what is it about his work that makes the museum a space for something like that? Tim Ude is embarking on a 10-year project called 100 Novels, in which he's retyping 100 books. Um, And for St. Louis, he's chosen four authors with uh, St. Louis uh, deep history, including uh, William S. Burroughs, T.S. Eliot, Marianne Moore, and Stanley Elkin. And for these um, retypings, he is typing on the same typewriter make and model that the author originally used to write their manuscript. And he's typing in sites that are significant to the author. So for example, right now he is retyping Stanley Elkin's book called The Franchiser. And he's doing that on the campus of Wash U, where Stanley Elkin was a professor in the English department for over 30 years. So he does these kind of durational performances that last um, between, you know, six and 13 days. And he types all day long, six hours per day. He takes a a lunch break for lunch and then he continues on. And uh, so they're considered kind of these endurance pieces. And so he is here for about 40 days doing these four novels and typing throughout different sites in the city. like I said, on the same typewriter model and make as the author originally used. And the goal really with this project was to um, kind of compress the entirety of a novel into one page. So as he's doing these performances, he's actually using just one sheet of paper with a kind of backing behind it. And so he'll type an entire sheet uh, on his typewriter. And when he gets to the bottom, he puts that same sheet back through the typewriter again. So it's consecutively running through the typewriter, absorbing all the ink, getting really saturated. And sometimes the page kind of falls apart you know, over the course of 300 pages of typing. And so Tim was really interested in this idea of compressing a novel into just one page of saturated ink. Um, So that was the goal of the project, was to create this kind of um, abstracted, almost painting of a book. Um, But he learned pretty quickly through the process that it was a lot about the performance as well and about the process of um, closely reading these novels. And 
Um, and so he, you know, his first performance was actually in his studio. He retyped um, Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas because he learned that when Thompson was interested in becoming a writer, he retyped books by Hemingway and um, by F. Scott Fitzgerald. So he kind of took that as a model, decided to retype Hunter S. Thompson's book, did that in the privacy of his studio, but really realized that he wanted to interact with the public, to be out in these sites of significance. So it became much more about the process of reading, of engaging with the public. Still equally as important is the finished product, this kind of diptych. So he hangs um, the saturated ink sheet with the backing, the page of backing, as a kind of diptych. So it looks a lot like a book, two pages in a book um, when it's hung. So um, yeah, so his performance is both you know, about the end product, but also about the performative aspect and the process of making as well. So in Cam's exhibition space right now, actually, because he's only just completed one of his performances, he finished typing T.S. Eliot's Collected Poems. We are currently having that diptych framed, and we will hang that in the exhibition space. There's kind of a placeholder that's waiting for it to be hung, in addition to placeholders for the other three novels. So in this space, it's quite empty. There are those three pla uh, four placeholders, and then we have four typewriter drawings. Um, that's a kind of parallel practice to his typing performances, in which he is uh, committed to making 100 drawings. So that number 100 plays in again, but he's making 100 drawings of the typewriter that he's using in each performance. So for T.S. Eliot, it was the Smith Corona silent flat top typewriter. I don't know how I know that, but I've got that in my memory <laughs> bank. And so he makes these 100 drawings of the typewriter. He has a kind of tally index card that notes on which day he made each drawing and how many drawings he made. And so the finished product is kind of a jumbled, um, of amalgamation of all of these different 100 drawings. Great. That's awesome. So um, you had already anticipated kind of what I was, um, or what I'm wanting to ask about next. And that is exactly his um, performance versus his product. So something that we talk about a lot in the writing program over at St. Louis University with our students and, and as instructors is, um, one, the fact that our writing is engaging with the public um, and that our, our writing is performative. Trying to kind of get out of the mindset that the finished product, the paper that they turn in at the end of class or whatever it is, is not actually the end all be all to their process. So um, I maybe if you could just say a little bit more about how his work blurs those boundaries and how his performance, and I, I love the, the term that you use durational performances, what that means for a museum space like this. Yeah. His process is really interesting because for this project, you know, he set out to create these pages, basically, the saturated page that contained the entire novel, squashed, as he says, into just one page. It becomes unreadable. Um, it's not about being able to read the text in the end. Um, 
But as his project kind of evolved, he learned that it was really through the process of typing and um, engaging with the public that he really got something out of it. I mean, there needs to be something that would compel him to do this 100 times. And of course, you know, he he's interested in making that diptych, but the most satisfying part for him is really having conversations with the public in these very public settings, um, answering questions, and just getting people excited about literature, which I think is kind of um, unexpected in many ways, and especially his engagement with the typewriter, which is such an analog device. Um, I think a lot of younger people probably have never even typed on a typewriter before, so I think it's getting people excited about um, literature within a kind of visual art practice. Um, I think that, yeah, I think his process is really interesting in that it's very much about a kind of build-up because right now in the museum, there's almost nothing on display in the walls. Um, it's waiting for that performance to finish. So, um, of course, the end product is important for him, but I think that I think that for him, what he tries to do each day, he told me, is to be the re best reader that I can be. He said, who was it? I think he said that Henry James said that a writer is really just an excited reader. And so um, I think he's really interested in that kind of unmediated experience with the text and kind of a, almost a communion with the text that happens through these sort of durational performances where he gets really focused, his attention is really heightened. You know, he, he doesn't have like blinders on, of course he's interacting with the public, but he's getting into the state where he is kind of sacrificing his body in some ways. I mean, he's typing for six hours a day sitting on a hard chair, which he really insisted on. He didn't want like a very comfortable recliner or something like that. He wants to be alert, you know, with his ergonomic posture. And he told me that he does a kind of hunt and peck style of typing where he just uses his index fingers and maybe his thumb for the space bar, but he's kind of pecking around the, the typewriter. So it's arduous. I mean, it takes a really long time, but I think that that sort of sacrifice of the body for this durational performance is what makes it satisfying to him as well. Yeah, and I think that um, that was one thing that was really striking to me when this exhibition first started was how, um, well, yeah, one, just his physical presence of sitting here. And I, I know exactly what you're talking about, that kind of hunt and peck typing, which I had assumed was just the nature of typing on a typewriter. Because, <laughs> um, you know, that I'm one of those millennials that doesn't know anything about typing on a typewriter. So I, um, but yeah, he is so quick to focus his attention on the public, right? He will stop, he will stand up, he will talk to people myself included too many times that I interrupt him. But thinking about his physical presence, something else that's really fascinating to me is he is not physically present in the museum today. He's he's off-site at Wash U, but the sound of his typing is still streaming through the front front room here at the museum. Can you say more about that? What what's what was kind of the driving force behind um, having that audio streamed in live, and why is it so important that, that that sound of the typewriter is still going in that space? It's a bit of an experiment for Tim. He's never done this before, but he thought it would be really 
lively to have the sound of the typewriter kind of hit you the second that you walk into the museum as a visitor because his exhibition space is the first um, kind of uh, gallery within the museum. So we wanted the sound to be loud enough that you could hear uh, the typing before you see the finished product. He actually made that really clear. He wanted you to hear the process of making, so the typing, and kind of um, it entices you to want to engage and sort of understand what you're hearing. And then you see the finished products on the wall. You see the diptychs and kind of make that connection between the sound and what made that mm -hmm. object. Um, as far as live streaming, I think he also was interested in having a kind of ghost of the performance haunting his space in some ways. Much of his work is about the sort of document of the performance, and I think this sound element contributes to that. It is a document of the performance. It's really interesting, though, because it is live streamed. And he's also he's using a GoPro on his chest to also video record all of his performances. So he has hundreds of hours of, of basically the view of him typing. It's his hands typing at the typewriter is what you would see in the video. But he has hundreds of hours, and he's unsure of what he'll do with that as of yet as well. But I think, again, it's this desire to kind of capture the performance in its entirety. Um, but he was very clear about also wanting the sound to be the sound of the typewriter, and it needed to be really crystal clear so that you knew that that was what was making the object because typewriter factors in so heavily in this performance. In fact, he chooses these books and books of poetry based on their having been written on a typewriter. So that's a pretty specific time period in which authors were even using a typewriter. I think it was like the 1890s through the 1980s. So you know, he has that sort of limitation, but I think he really wanted to draw attention to the objectness and the instrument nature of the typewriter as well. So not only is his work blurring the boundary between process and product or performance and object, um, but it's also blurring the boundaries between reading and writing practices. And what it sounds like is like the machine, right? This typewriter is at the center of all of that for yes. him and it's it's really um important for him that he draws attention to the ways that that machine changes his reading practices his writing practices and the product that ends up getting hung on the wall yes. at the end of the day right or at the end of many days of many hours <laughs> of typing great well misa thank you so much for joining me today and giving us some insight to yud's work Listeners, if you're in the area, I highly recommend checking out the exhibition. Tim's about to finish up his first chunk of time here in St. Louis, but he will return from, I believe, February 26th to March 17th. Does that sound right? Yes. Okay. Um, and when he comes back, I'll be interviewing him about his multimodal practice for another episode of Eloquentia Perfecta Ex Machina. If you'd like to get involved in this podcast series, to share an assignment or tool, or even to pitch an interview, please contact me, Nathaniel Rivers, at nathaniel.rivers at slu.edu.
eloquentia perfecta ex machina.